Welcome back, WIT listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today as we have a very special guest on that has actually been a member of WIT for over 20 years. We are so excited to have Jill Klein, an accomplished academic leader, educator, advisor, board member, and corporate executive, currently appointed as interim president at Pitzer College, taking effect July 1st of this year. Jill is officially retiring from American University and has been appointed as executive in residence and professor emeritus at American at the Kogod School of Business. Her early career spanned roles at J.P. Morgan, IBM, Riggs Bank, and the advisory board and included the application of fintech strategies long before the term fintech was mainstream. In 2015, Jill was appointed Kogod's Dean for Digital Initiatives where she launched Business at American, Kogod's online MBA and MS in analytics, where Jill developed and launched online professional graduate programs. In March of 2022, Jill was appointed interim president-elect at Pitzer College, a liberal arts college emphasizing environment and interdisciplinary studies, the arts, humanities, and social, behavioral, and natural sciences. She's been recognized with numerous honors, including the 2020 International Alliance for Women World of Difference Award, the 2019 Women in Technology Leadership Award, and a seat on the Leaders Council for the Women's Business Collaborative. In 2012, Jill was appointed to Cornell University President's Council of Cornell Women and continues to serve in that capacity. Jill earned an AB from Cornell University and an MBA from American University. Jill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with us today. I am just delighted. WIT is such an important part of my professional life here in Washington, D.C. So I can't imagine a better way for me to start to as transition out to California and get a chance to chat with my friends at Women in Technology. So thank you for having me today. Absolutely. We will definitely miss you in the DC area, but it is an exciting journey and we support you. And it's only for a year. And it's only for a year. You'll be back. (laughs) You'll be back. (laughs) So we just ran through a really brief snippet of your incredible resume. But if you want to just walk us through maybe some more details, your journey, where you're from, and just kind of the current positions that you hold. Well, you know, this is what happens when you want to interview somebody who's been out in the work world for well over 40 years. But I love that you ask me where I'm from, because this is actually a question I love asking my students. And I'll ask them to introduce their hometown and tell you something about that hometown, because I discover that it really helps find commonality, but also creates distinction. So I grew up in Albany, New York. And for those of you who forget your grade school geography and capitals. Albany is the capital of New York State. And so I've always lived in the capital. But when the city of Albany was first colonized by Europeans, it was colonized by the Dutch. And so one of the really special things that happened in my hometown when I was growing up is that we had a big tulip festival. And so, of course, here in Washington, we get our tulips about six weeks earlier. But it's always one of those moments where I get to step back and say, this reminds me of growing up in Albany. But for the past 40 years, I have called DC my home. And I tend to think about my career in two buckets with lots of transitional pivots. But the first part of my career was really progressive management roles in banking and specifically in technology enabling roles in banks. As you said in the intro, I was doing fintech before we had a really cool word to describe (laughs) it. And then at the turn of the century, just as 
everybody gets excited about the internet and we have the internet bubble bursting. I had the opportunity to join American University as the first executive in residence in the Kogod School of Business. And from there, my career just took an extraordinary turn. If somebody told me that 20 years later, I would have spent you know, well over half my career as a college professor innovating within the scope of higher education, I would have said not a shot. But <laughs> here I am. I've been teaching online, by the way, since 2004. I had to go back and look this up. Wow. So imagine 2004, no Zoom, no Teams, no Spanish high-speed internet. You used to get on with a modem and you'd get that, <laughs> no, don't turn your dials. That's what it used to sound like when you got online. And so I've just had this great experience. And just at that moment when I thought I'm going to become an emeritus faculty member, I'm going to go back into the community, do a little bit of consulting, an opportunity comes along. So I call this my uh, capstone, if you will, at Pitzer College. And I am looking forward to my first opportunity of living west of the Mississippi. So I'll have a lot to report on what it's like to be a California girl. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. Enjoy that sunshine. Thank you for walking us through that. So you just referred to taking on your new role as college president as your capstone. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, what happens is you sort of step back and you say, how do you build a career? And especially for our listeners who are early in career, lots of things will come your way. And, and the opportunity to become a college president really brings together lots of pieces of my career. First of all, a college president is the chief executive, if you will of a college or university. So that's where I bring my executive experience. I was a chief information officer at Riggs Bank. And then as I was working in various roles at the university, I had different types of management roles, including being the dean of the School of Professional and Extended Studies, which really was a nice way to sort of complement the work that I had done in the business school where I was really busy launching new programs and introducing them into modalities like online and hybrid um, learning. So this is really an opportunity to bring it all together and to do it at a college where I have served as a trustee for the past eight years. So I have a real passion about this school and I am very excited to have the opportunity to help them in a leadership role as we go through a national search for a new president. So that's kind of how all of that connects, if you will. Yeah, thank you for walking us through that. It is a, a pinnacle of your career, I guess, so to speak, and, and it, I'm sure will bring everything together, as you were saying. So I want to kind of backtrack, because obviously we're talking about a very recent portion of your career, but you mentioned how you started in, in tech in banking technology. Was that kind of how you got into tech? Did you always know you wanted to work with banks and kind of fell into the tech portion? Kind of walk us through maybe the beginning of your well, corporate. You know That's a great question. And what's kind of interesting is I don't think I ever grew up thinking, ooh, tech, and certainly not ooh, banking. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you grow up in, in, so as I said, I grew up in Albany, New York, yeah. small city, think 100, 150,000 people. And my family was in the agribusiness. We were milk processors. And so from a really early age, I worked in my family's business. 
And I got really involved even when I was in middle school and in high school, as my father chose to introduce automation into the office. I mean, these are basic things, but back then having automated payroll systems, that was really cool. So I was very excited by the punch card, the Hollerith card. And I guess I just took that with me. When I got to college, I took classes in operations research. Today, people coming through school would think of that as analytics and studying supply chain. Yeah. We just didn't have all that language in, in the way we looked at these disciplines. And so when I got out of college, I really didn't know what industry I was interested in. But I made a decision that if you go into a banking company, Banks serve all industries, so maybe I'll get a chance to peek around lots of different industries by working in banking, and that's how I got to Wall Street. And it also turns out that when you look at early adopters of information technology, the early adopters were banks. The financial services industry unwittingly really became the place where we incubated telecommunications technology, transactional technology, and all the things that we really take for granted. So here I was, again, sort of not fully appreciating that we were figuring out how to move money and securities all around the globe at the hit of the enter key, so to speak. And so I got hooked. And the transition to working in a tech company came because I fell in love. And my husband-to-be was in Washington, and we made a decision to build our life here in Washington. And when that happened, the people I worked for in New York said, maybe you should go work in a tech company just to sort of see a different side of this part of the business. And that's how I went from J.P. Morgan to the IBM company. And what a great balance of experience to really extraordinary firms that not only provided me with an exceptional amount of training, but also really allowed me to see a wide variety of places and companies. And that is how the banking and the technology have become forever linked in what I do. Yeah. Thank you for walking us through that. What an interesting kind of flow as you went through. I love that one of the earliest pivots in your career maybe happened because you met your husband and that was a great balance of going after what you wanted in your personal life, but also making sure that you were still growing and learning in your professional life. So obviously that was a huge pivot. You've had pivots from academia and the corporate sector going back and forth. If you want to talk through maybe another major pivot or other major pivots that you've had, how you navigated them and how it impacted your overall journey through a couple different sectors. You know, one of the things that also happens, and especially with your listeners who are less experienced, you all are going to move jobs all the time. And as somebody who's been on the professor side now for a while, what always makes me take pause for a moment is to remind myself that I'm looking out at a room of students who are going to ultimately have jobs that don't even exist today. So this ability to say yes 
to opportunity. The willingness to reimagine how you take things you've learned in one role and move them to the next role becomes really important. And so there was a moment when I said, you know what, I want to try something different, not in a really big company. JP Morgan, IBM, Riggs Bank, these were big companies. And I wanted to see what it would be like to do something on my own. And so I said, okay, let's see what happens when I hang up a shingle. And I was trying to think of what am I going to call this shingle? You know, do I call it Jill Klein, which just didn't sound like enough to me. And there was lore in my family that when I was five years old, I went to day camp and I came home after the first day of day camp. And my parents said, so how was camp? What did you do? And I said, I can swim. And my parents were like, yeah, great. One day of day camp come back the next day. How was camp? What'd you do? I can swim. And this happened all week. And then the weekend came along and we went to the pool to go swimming. And of course, I jumped in and I swam the length of the pool. So I can swim has been one of those things. So I decided to call my first foray into an independent consulting life, the ICS group. Which, of course, everybody was like, ooh, information, communication. Computers, sciences. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, no, I can, I can swim. swim. <laughs> and that really, to this day, becomes one of those things that reminds me that you have to be resilient. You have to have confidence in yourself. You've got to look at the people around you and say, how do I help them and how do they help me? And you also have to look to your family for that support. And, and I've just been extraordinarily fortunate. Um, my husband is really my partner in, yeah. in everything that we do. And, and frankly, I wouldn't pick up and move 3,000 miles if it weren't for the fact that he said, oh, come on, let's try it. We need a new adventure, right? Yeah. So you need those things. But it's important to be able to look around and also know that people in your family who depend on you, also depend on you to be yourself. And so, especially for people who are thinking, wow, how do you juggle that thing called kids, right? Nothing (laughs) like being a parent and the responsibility and the love all come together. But I knew that I would be a better parent if part of my being was working outside of the home and being professionally fulfilled. And I got a little bit of reassurance. We had just had our second child and eight weeks or so later, 10 weeks, I'm getting ready and I'm going to go back to work. And so all of a sudden, instead of coming down to breakfast in my, you know, sweatpants, I'm now back in business attire and I come downstairs and my then three-year-old just looks at me very matter-of-factly and says, so mommy, you going to the bank today? And that's how I knew I had made a good decision for all of us. So they always knew that I went to work. Yeah, no, I love all of the the focus on resilience and understanding that the students you teach are going to have jobs that don't exist yet and kind of understanding that as as a professor, but then also pivoting into, you know, you need resiliency in every other aspect of your life and having the support of your family is absolutely key and 
And I think that's a great takeaway for all of our listeners, because obviously we have some women who are very new to the professional world. And then we have some women who are kind of at their capstone, as you were saying, or are at the peak and are trying to figure out how to wrap up a really successful career. And being resilient is just as important, I think, at both ends of the spectrum and everywhere in the middle as you have to navigate different parts of life. So I do want to touch on one thing that I originally hadn't planned on chatting about, but just because I'm curious, you obviously have talked a lot about the support of your husband and your decision to go back to work, how it impacted your kids and just your overall balance with professional and personal lives. Do you have any thoughts or advice for women who are maybe struggling with the decision to stay home or go back to work or start a family? Just anything looking back you wish you had known before you went into that? I think I was really fortunate because I also came from a family where we were expected to become independent. And to be independent meant that you had to work. And I always had that expectation. And so I always looked for people who would be mentors. Early on, to be very fair, it was very difficult to find professional women mentors. But I looked really hard. And even when I started in banking and I knew there weren't going to be women, and there certainly were very, very few women in the part of the bank that was really focused on technology and operations. But I would go and find women who I could go talk to. But I also made sure that I found men who appreciated what I was contributing. And so they provided an extraordinary amount of confidence building and direction you know, at WIT, we have this expression, no one path. And they really instilled that in me very early on. It isn't this straight up climb the ladder, go try different things, work in different parts of the organizations, work in different industries, do different things, because as you put all that together, it helps you. And then the other things happen. What a gift to be able to have a family and make that work. I think that in my perspective is there are lots of reasons why you need, for example, a parent who is at home or who's going to maybe have to be the person who really gets the phone calls. I encourage people to try to keep their hand in things that allow them an easy ramp or an easier ramp back into a full-time professional life. Um, I do think when I look back at my cohort, you know, and friends, people who really stepped off had a much harder time coming back after five years or 10 years or 15 years. And, you know, they would come to me and say, okay, so now what do I do? And invariably, it meant that they had to really step sideways and almost start over because the jobs were changing so quickly. Right. And so with the rapid evolution, especially because of technology, if you don't keep your hand in something, it's going to be tricky to go back. And I think today it's much more okay to say, I need to do these things for myself or I need to do these things for my family. You don't have to apologize. Make it work. And use it as an opportunity to maybe take on a responsibility that you might not have taken on in a full-time role. I'd like to say that, you know, we are all the CEO of You Inc. And there's only one person who actually cares about You Inc. And that's you. So you, you need to just have that little selfish thing going on on the side. Because if you do it right, 
it will not only nourish you, but it will nourish your friends, your family, and your colleagues. Careers are journeys, and they can be great fun, and they can be really hard, and those things go together. Just say yes. Look around the corner, and when somebody gives you an opportunity, figure out how you're going to make the most of that. Recognize that there will be opportunities you say no to, and there were always opportunities that were presented that I said, can't do that. It's not the right time. It doesn't feel good. But saying yes was really, really important. And that's why I feel comfortable being able to talk to people who I've known really for decades. I actually still even talk to one of my undergraduate college professors who is gifted with and blessed with a very long life. And we still exchange books. But I also look at it going forward. And that is recognizing that we're lifelong learners. So what you learn when you're 20 may not really help you when you're 60 if you're trying to get in to do something new. So this notion of lifelong learning is really important. And a few years ago, I had the opportunity to become part of the Leadership Greater Washington cohort, which brings together a group of people from across the region. And I'm thinking to myself, I know lots of people here. I'm going to walk in 45 people. I'll know a handful of people. I walked into that cohort. I did not know one person. Wow. I can tell you a year later, I've got 45 awesome, cool new friends and people who are going to help me come up with ways to make a difference in Washington, D.C., but I'm also going to help them. And that's what this is really all about. Yeah. And uh, it's part of what wit is, you know, wit is really, you know, as we like to say, from the classroom to the boardroom. And as you know, I am one of the founders and leaders of the Leadership Foundry, which is focused on helping women be prepared to go to the corporate boardroom. And yet we have programs that are focused on early career people and STEM for her and programs that help make sure we capture girls at middle school and high school. So it's a journey. Enjoy Absolutely. It. You mentioned the, the WIT motto from the classroom to the boardroom. You kind of take that motto to a whole new level because we obviously meant that for, you know, girls in school and getting girls into STEM early to the boardroom later on. And it was a very linear journey, whereas you're kind of you've been to the classroom, to the boardroom back to the classroom, back to the boardroom. So you you've had a very different view of what the WIT motto means. We're talking so much about WIT, and it's surprising that it took us this long to get here, but you were actually the recipient of one of the WIT Leadership Awards back in 2019. So obviously, congratulations on that. Can you tell us a little bit about the award, maybe what it meant to you? I've been involved in the Leadership Awards since really early on, and I actually am on the committee, but just so everybody knows, of course, I was not in the room on this particular nomination. Um, And so I do really appreciate the thought and the care that goes into the nominations and into our decision on who um, wins these awards. Every year, I am in awe of the women who are nominated across all the categories. And so I was very excited to be on that dais when they announced my name. And um, it was really very exciting. 
And it's exciting to meet the other people who are also nominated and who are finalists. So I think we can't recognize our women leaders and contributors enough. We do this because it helps, I hope, inspire other people to say, I can do this. This is something I would like recognition for. And that's why I think it's exciting and it's fun. And I am looking forward to when we announce the winners of this year's uh, leadership awards coming up. Wow, I think in like four or five weeks now. We don't even know who they are yet. And we can both promise that they're going to be totally outstanding and, and motivational. And everyone will, will definitely have something to learn from them um, and be inspired. So obviously, congratulations on your award. And thank you for all of your participation and support with announcing those winners. I know it's one of our most exciting events of the year and everyone looks forward to it. Definitely very, very well earned. So I only have one more question for you. Again, it's just because I'm kind of curious. We've talked so much about how you're viewing your new presidency as the capstone of your career. And I just was wondering if you were to write a capstone thesis at this point in your life, what would the topic be? It would probably be on constant innovation. I heard a wonderful quote the other day from one of our federal leaders. What they encapsulated was the notion that homogeneity is the enemy of innovation. Wow. And it's okay. the enemy of entrepreneurship and the enemy of diversity. And so I think what I hope to maybe do my capstone on is the importance of inclusion in everything we do. And that starts in the way we look at education. And that I hope that by getting this particular opportunity, I will help, in this case, young people appreciate the importance of making sure that we celebrate what makes us different on every single level. And as you know, I've spent a lot of time personally on the advocacy side to make sure that women are at the table. Yeah, I'm really excited when I'm not the only one or when there's just one other. I want three, four, five women at that table so that we are meaningfully part of the conversation. And so that will probably be where my capstone goes. So now you've actually given me a challenge. So thanks for that. Yeah. Which is I need to have, write my thesis statement before I start this job so yeah. that I know what I'm doing. No, you know and where you're I've going. I've got something to report back on. And who knows, maybe you'll invite me back in another year and a half or so. And we yeah. can talk about what we've learned. Yeah, we can talk about what we've learned, your journey through the presidency how it went, how we've changed over the year and, and how we followed through. No, that would be awesome. Celebrate what makes you different. I love that. What did you, you said earlier, people that depend on you are depending on you to be yourself. Depend on yourself and celebrate what makes you different. I absolutely love that. Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an awesome conversation. I know I learned a lot and I, I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. So thank you so much for taking the time for this and coming on. My very distinct pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You too. Let's all join in and wishing Jill the best of luck with her presidency over the next year. 
I am your 2022 co-host, Becky Schneider. And until next time, keep inspiring girls and women to rise from the classroom to the boardroom and maybe back to the classroom. 